Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14 and reading it verse 30. We read, but when he, that is Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? As uh, most of you know, uh, I love the music of uh, you too. In fact, I love them so much that uh, I nearly got thrown off the presbytery when I gave a talk to the presbytery on uh, the spiritual uh, significance and influence of, of uh, U2 and their music. And I thought after that, well, that's me well and truly uh, off the presbytery. But uh, fortunately, I think they, they're desperate, so they decided to keep me on uh, after that. But uh, a few years ago, they wrote a song entitled Every Breaking Wave, where they sing every shipwrecked soul knows what it is to live without intimacy. Every shipwrecked soul knows what it is to live without intimacy. Well, today we're continuing our studies in the life of Peter and what we might call Peter's sinking faith. And we're looking at this under three headings, a stormy night, then a sovereign visitor, and finally a sinking disciple. First, we have a stormy night. Look at verses 22 to 24, where Matthew focuses on the storm that the disciples experienced. Matthew begins by giving us the setting in verses 22 and 23. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He had seen this great crowd and he'd had compassion on them and had healed their sick. He had then proceeded to feed them using only five loaves and two fish and they had all eaten and were satisfied. And Jesus now dismisses the disciples and the crowd in verse 22. He remains in control of the situation and he makes, he compels, he forces the disciples to get into their boat and he instructs them to go to the other side of the lake. At the same time, he dismisses the crowd whom John tells us were wanting to make him king. And with the disciples and crowds out of the way, Jesus goes up a mountain to pray. Verse 23, Matthew emphasizes the solitude of Jesus. He tells us that Jesus went up on the mountain by himself. He also tells us that when evening came, Jesus was alone. Jesus chooses this time to be alone with his Father in prayer. He knows that a mission to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, is about to begin. He knows that the hour of his suffering and death is drawing nearer. And before these significant events take place, he spends time alone in prayer. Matthew goes on to record the storm in verse 24. He draws their attention to the boat that the disciples were in. We're told that it was a long way from land. The disciples are well on in their journey, but there is still a long way to go. There is a great distance between them and the place that they had set out from. But there is also a great distance between them and the place that they had set out for. And the disciples find themselves in this boat in the middle of a storm. The boat is being beaten. The word in Greek is it was tortured. It was distressed by the waves. At the same time, the wind is against them. The disciples are in a situation that is difficult, a situation that is dangerous. We might even say a situation that is deadly. And you know, friends, as we focus on these verses, we're being reminded that if we are following Jesus, 
we might well end up in a storm. If we are following Jesus, we might well end up in a storm. That is what happened to these disciples. Jesus had told them to get into their boat to make for the other side. They had quietly done so and they had followed his instruction down to the letter. And now they find themselves in a storm all because they had followed Jesus. All because they would obeyed his command. And the same is true today. Sometimes we might meet troubles and trials in our lives and we think to ourselves, well, this must mean that the Lord doesn't approve of what I'm doing. He's setting up obstacles in my way. And other times we might meet troubles and trials in our lives and we think to ourselves that I must have done something the Lord doesn't approve of. And he's now disciplining me. He's chastening me. And there can be truth in that. We can think of the prophet Jonah. You remember how Jonah receives that definitive commission from the Lord to go to the people of Nineveh to preach to them. And Jonah responds with that disobedience as he goes in the opposite direction. And the Lord responds to Jonah's disobedience by hurling, by throwing a storm against the boat that Jonah has gone into. But sometimes we meet troubles and trials, we find ourselves in a storm, and it's precisely because we have followed the Lord's command. Sometimes the Lord decides that a storm is going to be the schoolroom of faith in the lives of his people. Sometimes the Lord decides that a storm is the best way to awaken his people to his all-surpassing grace, his all-sufficient glory. Today, friends, let's remember that if we are following Jesus, we might find ourselves in a storm. If we are following Jesus, we might find ourselves in a situation where we are being beaten and thrown about just like the wind and the waves beat and threw the disciples about in their boat. And it's not because the Lord is angry with you. It's not because the Lord is disappointed with you. It's because the Lord in his own wisdom and in his own providence has decided that that storm is going to be used to draw you nearer to him. And some of you I know have been through terrible storms and it's cast you onto the rock of salvation. And some of you may be about to go through a terrible storm and it might be the Lord's means of casting you evermore onto the rock of salvation. A stormy night. But we move from a stormy night to a sovereign visitor. Look at verses 25 to 27. Matthew now focuses on the sovereign Lord whom the disciples encountered. Matthew records the approach of Jesus in verses 25 and 26. Matthew draws their attention to the approach of Jesus in verse 25. He tells us that Jesus came to the disciples in the fourth watch of the night. Between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to the disciples. They have been toiling in this storm throughout most of the night. And when they are most wearied, when they are most desperate, when they have got nothing more to give, the Lord comes to them. Isn't that how the Lord so often works? 
when we are most wearied, when we are most desperate, and when we have got absolutely nothing more to give, when we don't even have the strength to pray, the Lord comes. And Matthew tells us that Jesus came to them walking on the sea. The sea in scripture often represents the forces of chaos and evil. The sea is a domain over which only God ultimately has control, as you see in Job chapter 9 and Psalm 77. And now Jesus comes to the disciples walking on the waves, sovereign over the waters. And it's at this point that Matthew draws our attention to the anxious reaction of the disciples in verse 26. They see Jesus walking on the sea. Now these are, these are real men. These are ordinary men. These are fishermen like some fishermen that we might know. They are men of the world. And they know that ration and reason don't allow for a person to walk on water. And they say to themselves, it's a ghost. It is a phantom. It is a specter. Something supernatural is going on here. And Matthew goes on to record the assurance from Jesus. Look at verse 27. Matthew tells us that Jesus immediately spoke to them. These men are in a storm. They're tired. They're afraid. They're absolutely desperate. They're hanging on by a thread. And Jesus seeks to address their fears by speaking to them. And look at what he says to them. Take heart. Literally be of good courage. Take heart. It is I. Now at one level, Jesus is saying, I'm here, it's me, it's all okay. But his words go even deeper in this, because in the Old Testament, the Lord, the living God, describes himself as being the great I am. We're going to see that on Tuesday night at the prayer meeting, when in Exodus 3, the Lord appears to Moses and tells him that his name is I am, that I am. And when Moses is to go to the people of Israel, he is to say to them, I am has sent me to you. And now Jesus calls out to the disciples, I am. It's a declaration of deity. It is a declaration of divinity. Jesus is saying, I am. And he closes by saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I am is with you. Don't be afraid because the living God is with you. Friends, as we focus on these verses, we're being shown who Jesus really is. Matthew is skillfully presenting and portraying Jesus as the sovereign Lord. He is the one who comes to his people in their distress. He's the one who walks on the water. He's the one who calls out, I am. He's the one who is fully man, but he is also fully divine, fully God. He is the Lord. And there is nothing in all of creation that isn't under his sovereign control. Not even the wind and the waves. I know I might get in trouble for saying this, but I'll say it anyway because he doesn't come to our church regularly. We're very glad to have Martin McLean with us. And uh, Martin gives me grief for being such a John Piper fan. But I don't think anybody puts it better than John Piper when John Piper says the following. Jesus is supreme in every admirable way over everything. Over galaxies and endless reaches of space. 
over the earth from the top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up, to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, 36,000 feet down in the Mariana Trench. He is supreme over all plants and animals, from the peaceful blue whale to the microscopic killer viruses. Over all weather and movements of the earth, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, earthquakes, avalanches, floods, snow, rain, sleet, overall chemical processes that heal and destroy, cancer, AIDS, malaria, flu, and all the workings of antibiotics and a thousand healing medicines. He is supreme over all countries and governments and armies, over Al-Qaeda and terrorists and kidnappings and suicide bombings and beheadings, over all nuclear threats from Iran, Russia or North Korea. He is supreme over all politics politics and elections, over the media, the news, the entertainment, sports and leisure, over all education and universities and scholarship and science and research, and over all business and finance and industry and manufacturing and transportation, over the internet and all information systems. As Abram Kuyper once said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say mine. Now, I love you being here, Mark, and we're delighted you're on holiday with us, but you can't put it better than that. But the question is, friends, do you believe this? Do you believe that the one who was placed on Calvary's cross, born in Bethlehem's manger, is the one who is fully sovereign? Do you believe that Jesus is the great I Am? Do you believe that he is the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God that we read about in the pages of the Old and New Testaments? Do you believe that he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? That he is the holy, holy, holy God whose glory fills the whole earth? Do you believe that one day every politician, every prime minister and every president is going to bow the knee to him and that even now he is sustaining the breath in their lungs, sustaining the breath in Putin's lungs, sustaining the breath in Liz Truss's lungs, sustaining the breath in Prince Charles's lungs? Do you believe this, friends? Do you believe, friends, that Jesus is the sovereign Lord? But as we focus on these verses, we're also being reminded of what this sovereign Lord, what this Jesus says to all his people in all their storms. He comes to the disciples as they find themselves in this great storm and he says to them, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And that is what this strong, sovereign, supreme Jesus continues to say to every disciple in every storm. He comes to them in the storms taking place in their homes. Difficulties in their marriages. And he says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. He comes to them in the storms taking place in their schools in their colleges, in their universities, in their workplaces, and he says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. He comes to them in the storms taking place in the cost of living crisis. When if you're like me, you think, what on earth is the energy bill going to be for this month? And he says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. He comes to them in the storms taking place in their hospital wards. 
when they're at their weakest, when they're at their most vulnerable, and he says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he comes to them in the final storm, the storm that every person must go through at the end of life, and he says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Friends, whatever storms we might be going through or about to go through, as Christians or as a congregation, we have the sovereign Jesus who says to us, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And I ask you, friends, with all my heart, do you believe this? Do you really believe this? Third and finally, we have a sinking disciple. Look at verses 28 to 33. Where Matthew now focuses on the sinking faith of one of these disciples. Matthew draws our attention to the walk of Peter. Verses 28 to 31. We can begin by noting his request and hearing Jesus' response in verses 28 and 29. Peter has just seen Jesus, just heard Jesus, and he now, as Peter always does, and we'll see this more and more over these weeks, he just blurts it all out. And he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He literally says, Lord, since it's you, since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Peter loves Jesus. And he wants to be where Jesus is. He's not content to remain in his boat and wait for Jesus to come to him. He cries out, Lord, since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Let me be with you, Jesus. And Jesus replies, come. What music for Peter's ears. Jesus, his friend, his Lord, has just said, come. And he steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water toward Jesus. But we also know Peter's sinking and Jesus' salvation. Look at verses 30 and 31. Peter has been on the water. He's walking. He isn't far from Jesus when all of a sudden, and we don't know what got into his head, apart from we know the weakness in our own hearts, he starts looking at the wind. He sees the sea spray and the crashing waves, sees the boat bobbing up and down, Hears the howl of the gale, the roar of the sea. He feels the breeze on his face. He looks all around and he starts to panic. And he becomes afraid. You know, if Jesus had started sinking, Peter would have a reason to be afraid. Or if Jesus had withdrawn his invitation and said, Actually, Peter, go back. I don't want you coming to me. Peter would have a reason to be afraid. But he becomes afraid because he's just taken his eyes off Jesus. And he begins to sink and he cries out. He screams, Lord, save me. And in that very moment, Jesus reaches out his hand, takes hold of Peter, saves him from drowning, and then gently says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Matthew goes on to draw our attention, though, to the worship of the disciples in verses 32 to 33. He tells us that when Jesus and Peter got back into the boat, the wind ceased. Verse 32. Now, Matthew doesn't say that Jesus calmed the storm. But we know from Matthew chapter 8 that Jesus has power to calm the storms. 
And here, as soon as Jesus steps into the boat, there is this great calm. The storm ceases without even a word. And Matthew closes by saying that the disciples worship Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Verse 33. They have seen him walking on the water. They have heard his words, Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. They watched him rescue Peter from drowning. They witnessed the wind cease as soon as he stepped into their boat. And all they can say is, truly, you are the Son of God. They are, they are putting Jesus into the highest possible category that they have. They are saying that Jesus is uniquely related to the one true living God. They are saying that Jesus is indeed Lord and Lord of all creation. Now, friends, as we focus on these verses, we are being given a picture of what happens when faith falters. Look at what happens to Peter. One minute he's looking to Jesus, walking on the water, and the next minute he's looking at the wind, succumbing to fear, sinking beneath the waves. And the same can be true of us. Jesus is the great object of our faith who calls us to come to him. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us that we live the Christian life, we run the Christian race looking all the time to Jesus. But sometimes, and you know this I'm sure friends, sometimes we take our eyes off him. We start looking around us rather than at him. Rather than at Jesus. And that can happen after we have made a good deal of progress in the Christian life. Look at Peter. He has walked to within touching distance of Jesus. He had gone that far. And for whatever reason he then looks at the wind. Looks at the waves. And starts to sink. Perhaps you're here today friend. And you're sinking. You're sinking because you have taken your eyes off Jesus. Or perhaps you're here today and you know someone, they are so precious to you, but they're sinking because they've taken their eyes off Jesus. They once sat beside you in church, went to the prayer meeting with you. Went to Bible studies with you. Always were wanting to speak about the Lord. But, but they don't want that now. They're, they're sinking because they've taken their eyes off Jesus. Faith can falter. But these verses also give us a wonderful picture, don't they, of the Saviour who doesn't falter. Look at how Jesus responds to Peter in these verses. Peter is sinking. He's crying out, Lord, save me. And Jesus doesn't turn away from him in disappointment. Neither does Jesus say, come on man, pull yourself together, sort yourself out. No, he immediately reaches out his hand and takes hold of Peter. What an encouragement that is. What an encouragement that should be if you're a Christian today who has begun to sink. Here is the Saviour who is gentle and lowly in heart. And he reaches out his hand to take hold of those who are sinking. Other people might become exasperated with you. Other people might give up on you, but not Jesus. 
Not Jesus. He is the one who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My dear sinking friend, you are not alone today. Peter knew what it was to sink. And if I was to be honest with you today, I've known what it is to sink. And I'm sure every elder in this building would be able to confirm and say that they have known what it is to sink. But there is a saviour who doesn't sink. There is a saviour who will never, never, never let go of his people. There is a saviour who says, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. If you are sinking today, cry out to him. He's not going to turn his back on you. And what an encouragement this should be if you're not a Christian today. You might be holding back from Jesus because you're afraid you'll let him down. Holding back from Jesus because you're afraid that you'll disappoint him in some way. And today I am presenting you with a saviour who will not leave you, he will not forsake you. I'm presenting you with a saviour who will never refuse to cry, Lord, save me, no matter how far you've sunk. I'm presenting you with a saviour who will take you back again and again and again. I'm presenting you with a saviour who loves it when wayward sheep and wandering sons come back into the fold. And so I ask you today, friend, if you are are here today and you are not a Christian, can I ask you, what is holding you back from coming to such a saviour? What is holding you back from coming to such a Jesus? What is keeping you back from just stepping out of the boat and going toward him? He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He simply says, come. Let's pray.